I'm Franco Terrazano. And I'm Chris Sims. And this is the Canadian Taxpayers Podcast, where we're dedicated to lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. In this episode, we're going to be taking a deep dive into Newfoundland and Labrador. That province is in serious economic and financial trouble. So the question on everyone's mind, will they get a federal bailout? We'll stay tuned for that. And in Waste Watch, a former bureaucrat in Kamloops blew through so much taxpayers' money that the district RCMP have actually called in their federal investigations unit to take a look. Talk about bureaucrats gone wild. But first, you know, the definition of insanity has been described as doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. So Simmer, what is going on with your emissions and your carbon tax in B.C.? It's just plain insane. There's really no other way to describe it. All right. That's the show. You heard it here <laughs> first, folks. <laughs> uh, but seriously, you know, you're, you're telling me about how BC's emissions numbers this week um, and that they're actually going up. You know, the rest of Canada was told that it was your, you guys out there in BC that are this glowing example of a carbon tax that works. So what gives? Yeah, it works in the sense that it's sucking billions of dollars out of our pockets and in typical government fashion, doing diddly squat for its intended purpose. Here's the deal. Justin Trudeau's federal government quietly posted the emissions data on the United Nations website last month. And we have the documents. Emissions are actually up 11% over the last four years from 2015 to 2019. And they've gone up pretty much every single year since the BC carbon tax was first invented. But uh, Chris, uh, weren't we all told that carbon taxes will reduce emissions, right? Isn't that how they're supposed to be this efficient policy? Well, you know, nothing, it doesn't really sound too efficient to me to be hammering families with higher costs and to achieve virtually nothing. Exactly. And politicians, though, will tell you pretty much anything they possibly can to try to justify a new tax. And once it's in, they will fight like a cornered raccoon to keep that tax. And I've been looking up these emissions numbers in BC for years now, all while our carbon tax goes up and up and up. You know what? Emissions keep on going up and up and up. I actually honestly trust gas station sushi more than I trust these politicians who are selling us these carbon taxes. Uh, Yeah, you know, I have a a few bad stories with uh, gas station sushi, (laughs) but I think we'll save that for another time here. (laughs) But let's get into the nitty gritty, what people actually care about here, Simmer. What are the numbers in BC, right? What are we dealing with? Okay, so this report that's posted on the UN website, it's more than 500 pages long. In most cases, there are charts actually dating back to 1990. And for every province, it measures everything from methane emissions based on the different way one spreads manure. I'm not kidding. And it actually measures the gases that are emitted from the mouths of coal mines. So it's pretty thorough. Overall, emissions in BC have gone up 11% in four years. And when you take a look deeper at these emissions and these stats, you can see that road transportation, for example, it's increased 13% over the same time period. There's a 20% increase from light trucks or SUVs. And emissions coming from the transport trucks, the ones that deliver pretty much everything we eat and use, they're up 16%. So here's the thing. We need to use oil and gas to produce our food and to truck it to market. We need to heat our homes and we need to get to work in school. Correct me if I'm wrong, but smart folks or economists, Franco, call this an inelastic demand. (laughs) The carbon tax punishes us for doing those inelastic essential things while emissions keep on going up. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, it turns out as well, emissions went up across Canada in 2019. And you know why that's so important? Well, that was the first year that Trudeau's carbon tax took effect. But here's the thing. Even if emissions in Canada were going down, Trudeau's carbon tax would do squat for the environment. You know why, Simmer? I know you know why. That's because Canada makes up 1.5% of global emissions. So even if Trudeau could and did grind our economy to a screeching halt, he wouldn't even be saving the global environment then. Um, Now, because the BC carbon tax was sold to us as being the model for the rest of Canada. Uh, Simmer, why don't we break it down even more for our listeners? It's crazy expensive, and it's important to hammer this home because we are used as the example. So this year, the John Horgan majority NDP government is planning on taking about $1.8 billion from us in the BC carbon tax. Next year, it's going to be up to about two billion dollars taken from us that goes straight into government general revenue back when the carbon tax was first started politicians told us that it would stop at 30 dollars a ton be revenue neutral and reduce emissions none of that is true today yeah what what do they say about uh three strikes right yeah three strikes hmm and uh that two billion dollars figure that you threw out you know that's a lot of money and uh at 45 dollars per ton in bc That means your carbon tax at the pumps is 10 cents per liter for gasoline and about 12 cents per liter for diesel. Now, what about that second carbon tax? Yeah, it's important you brought that up because most people don't know that BC actually has a second carbon tax and they do not know that it's actually going to wallop the rest of Canada very soon. There's a second and hidden carbon tax in BC. It's actually tucked into the fuel regulations for the province, and it adds around 14 cents to a liter of gasoline and 15 cents to a liter of diesel. So that's higher than the first one. It's one of the reasons why, if any of you come out here and visit in BC, you're usually shocked by the price at the pump. That's why. Because combined, BC's two carbon taxes are about 24 cents per liter of gas. That means that it's around $18 extra to fill up a minivan or my Toyota Camry for that matter. And it's around $29 extra to fill up a light duty pickup truck. And folks, you know, it's, I know it's easy to say like, oh, that's just crazy BC. You know, we say that about Simmer all the time, right? It's easy to laugh at the wacky people on the West Coast who block pipelines while wearing their nylon and plastic raincoats, (laughs) but that's a mistake. And it's a mistake because Trudeau based his carbon tax on BC's example, and he's going to jack up his first carbon tax up to $170 per ton within the next nine years. Now, O'Toole, you know, he's also going back on his promise. He told us he was going to fight carbon taxes, but now it turns out he's going to be pushing through a carbon tax of his own if he's elected as prime minister. But here's the thing. O'Toole's second carbon tax is also going to be based on BC. So those 18 extra punishments, 18 extra dollars to fill your minivans will soon be nationwide. Exactly. Carbon taxes are unfair, they're unaffordable, and they don't work. So this is why we're fighting these carbon taxes, and you should probably help us out. Go check out our show notes and sign our petitions. All right, it's time for Deep Dive, the part of the show where we take a closer look into the important issues facing taxpayers. 
Now, recently, the Newfoundland and Labrador's economic recovery team released its report outlining how the province can patch its leaky finances back together. And now I have so many questions racing through my head. I don't even know where to start. Like, just just how bad of shape is this province in? We, we know it's bad, but how bad? Another question is, is there going to be a federal bailout? Now, fortunately, we've got our interim Atlantic director, Renaud Broussard, on the show to answer those questions and more. So, Renaud, let's start with this question. Is the rock going under? Well, let me speak in a language you'll appreciate, Franco. Uh, you know, when you're like one beer away from the night running away from you, that's where Newfoundland Labrador is. The province is in one beer away territory. Oh, man, that hits too close to home. And, and let me tell you, that is no good. And the key is to just not get to that point. <laughs> but, but Renault, hit us with the numbers, right? Like, what are we actually dealing with here? Yeah, it's bad all over. You know, when you take unfunded pension payments, crown corporation debt, basically everything that the provincial government owes into account, the province owes about $47 billion. That's for a province of 550,000 people. That's the equivalent of $182,000 per worker in the province. Actually, let me say that one more time. It would cost every single worker in Newfoundland Labrador $182,000 to pay for all of the provincial government's debt. To put that in context, the median after-tax income for households in Newfoundland Labrador is about $60,000 a year, according to StatsCam. That's three full years of income going to pay off the debt over and above the current taxes and paying for nothing else. So the situation is very, very serious. Actually, here's what the Economic Recovery Report had to say about this. A debt wall is reached when financial markets either refuse to buy new debt or require much higher interest rates as a premium for buying extremely risky debt. Our conclusion is that the debt wall is fast approaching and that it's unreasonable to pass high debt levels to our children. Yeah, that sounds real bad. And now I knew we knew it was going to be bad, right? I, I, yeah. We remember former Premier Dwight Ball. He was worried about not having enough funds to actually fund his government. I mean, here's yeah. what he said last year, which is crazy. Quote, we have no other recourse to raise the necessary funds to maintain the operations of government, including our healthcare system, especially at this crucial time. Our province has run out of time, end quote. There was also a bureaucrat who even said, quote, there is a point coming soon when this province will not be able to pay its public service, end quote. So things were bad. Things are clearly still bad. Um, but, Renault, let's give a little bit of context here, right? Because I know that uh, other provinces, especially in the prairies where I am, have gone through some bad times before. So, so just like, what does the situation right now in Newfoundland and Labrador compare to what some of the other provinces went through in the 90s? Well, yeah, well, first of all, you know things are bad when bureaucrats are worried about not getting a paycheck. <laughs> yeah. uh, but Newfoundland's net debt, that's, it's already more than half of its yearly economic output or, or its GDP. So that's expected to rise to nearly 90% of GDP by 2043, if it don't do anything, or 240% of GDP by 2068. To put that in perspective, when Saskatchewan hit its debt wall in the 1990s, uh, its debt to GDP ratio was in the high 40s. So Newfoundland's debt is already higher and growing quite fast. And remember that back then, to get, to, to get its finances back in order, Saskatchewan had to close more than 50 hospitals across the province. All right. So what is the report recommending here? Now, asking for someone who is outside of Newfoundland and Labrador, uh, is the report recommending 
to ask Ottawa and the rest of Canadian taxpayers for a bailout. No, uh, quite the opposite. Uh, here's what the chair of the economic recovery team, uh, Mo Green, had to say about this. Imagine if you spent every year 25% more than you make. Every year, you then borrowed to make up the difference. Eventually, the level of debt, even in a low-rate environment, you could not maintain it. People would start putting pressure on you to repay more than you have available. Eventually, you'd be boxed in, borrowing from Peter to pay Paul the very minimum. Some people think that won't happen, that we can continue on as we have done, that the banks will continue to lend to us, that the federal government will bail us out. That is not a plan. That is a wishful, wistful thought. We in no way subscribe to that view. In fact, the evidence that this is a wrong view is already pretty clear. And this is what a report said. The federal bailout is not the answer. The bailout and all that it implies will have a negative long-term impact. All right. Well, that sounds pretty clear, pretty unequivocal. Um, now, it's obvious to me that taxpayers in the rest of Canada would be paying the cost of a federal bailout. I think the more interesting insight is, well, what would those long-term negative impacts be for Newfoundland if the Fed sent them even more cash? Well, the first thing you need to understand is that the lack of tax dollars is not the issue. Newfoundland Labrador has had the highest per capita revenues of any province for 12 of the last 13 years. Also, Franco, let's not forget the Fed just gave Newfoundland $2.4 billion just two years ago. That $2.4 billion did basically squat. So why pour more tax dollars into this leaky barrel? Instead, it's important for the province to address the root of the issue. That's overspending. Uh, let's, let's listen to another clip from Green to get a better understanding of the spending problem. But we have to face facts. We are in a time of unprecedented financial challenge of our own making. And it will get worse. The hole will get deeper if we do not begin year after year over the next five to six years to work toward a balanced budget. Our financial predicament has nothing to do with the pandemic. And it predates Muskrat Falls. But the cost overruns and mismanagement of that project contributed to the problem. Our predicament is the result of years of overspending. Every year, our province spends about 25% more than it takes in from all the taxes, fees, royalties, and federal contributions we receive. In a 15-year period, we have increased our expenditures by 80%. We kept spending regardless of changes, particularly changes downward in our revenues, mostly from oil and gas royalty changes. To cover the shortfall every year, we had to add to our debt. More money from the feds would only exacerbate the spending problem. It would allow Newfoundland Labrador's politicians to get away with bad budgeting for a couple more years and then be stuck in the same situation in a matter of five or 10 years. It'd be like rewarding a teenager with more money after they just ran through their weekly allowance by Wednesday. 
<laughs> I like that analogy. That's a good point right there. And, and, you know, from the perspective of taxpayers outside of Newfoundland, I mean, a federal bailout would really set a very dangerous precedent. And let me read you. Yeah, let me read you a quote from Andrew Coyne. He's a columnist of the Globe and Mail, and he absolutely hit the nail on the head when he said, quote, it isn't only that a bailout would discourage Newfoundland from coming to grips with its fiscal problems. The precedent would discourage other provinces as well, some of whom, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, New Brunswick, are in nearly as rough shape, end quote. Now, there's no doubt that Newfoundland is in rough shape uh, and that a bailout would cost Canadian taxpayers tens of billions of dollars. But hey, these other provinces aren't exactly a bunch of beauty pageant contestants either, right? Ontario is already the most indebted subnational jurisdiction in the entire world. So a bailout for these other larger provinces would end up costing taxpayers hundreds of billions of dollars. Yeah, and you can bet the other provinces are watching to see just what feds are going to do. If Ottawa does send more taxpayers cash to Newfoundland, it's a pretty good bet other premiers will go to the feds cap in hand instead of addressing their overspending. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, it kind of reminds me of, you know, those long road trips that I used to take with my family. We'd, I'd be in the back with my younger brother and sister. And if I got a snack, well, then the other kids, my brother and sister would be whining for a snack too, right? So you give mm-hmm. one kid some candy, you know, the brothers and sisters are going to be whining for that sugar kick too. Um, so I think we've made the case here that a federal bailout would be a bad policy. Um, but is there anything else that the feds could do to actually help the rock out of its hard place? Oh, absolutely. For starters, the feds need to tackle equalization. Amen to that. Think of just how absurd this program is. Newfoundland Labrador is up to its eyeballs in debt. And yet Newfoundland taxpayers are still paying into equalization with their tax dollars. The province doesn't get any of that money back. Newfoundland Labrador is a half province, according to equalization. One way the feds can help is just by reducing the size of the program and reducing the amount of income taxes that takes out of the province. Second, the report discusses how the feds need to cut red tape and streamline the regulatory process. This is an easy and taxpayer-friendly way for Ottawa to help us further develop our resource and grow our economies. By reducing red tape, especially around resource development, it create more resource development opportunities, more industrial and economic development in general, and help the province take itself out of its debt. I mean, I'm here in Alberta, and that all sounds fantastic to me. Um, now, let's switch gears just a little bit here. Earlier in the segment, you mentioned the spending problem, uh, but can you give, go into just a little bit more detail about that, right? Like, so what can Newfoundland itself do to get back towards a path to fiscal sanity? Well, the report has some very great points on the spending side uh, and a lot of similar recommendations to what the Canadian Taxpayers Federation submitted uh, in our pre-budget report. In fact, the report referenced some of our work on finding savings in government employee pay. The report calls for a wage freeze for government employees and for converting costly defined benefit pension plans that put all the risk on taxpayers' shoulders into RSP style plans, which uh, Saskatchewan successfully started in the 70s. And we do need to see government employees sharing the burden. Here's an example illustrating this point. Uh, Between the 1999-2000 budget and the 2011-12 budget, expenditures in Newfoundland and Labrador grew by 90%. And much of the growth was due to a 140% increase in spending on public sector salaries and benefits during these years. The report also points out that government, core government expenditures should be reduced by about 5% and 
and operating grants on some government agencies should be cut by 20%. And here's another no-brainer. Make sure provincial politicians can't receive multiple government pensions. I mean, these sound like some pretty solid recommendations. I mean, we'd like to see all provinces follow similar recommendations to that. So here's what I'm hearing. No federal bailout, check. Some great ways to find savings, check, check. This sounds like a fantastic report. Well, there, there was a lot of good stuff in there, uh, but there was also a bunch of really bad recommendations as well, and we're going to need to push back on those. The report recommended a raft of tax increases, including hikes to gas taxes, income taxes, business taxes, a potential new wealth tax, and all this while saying that the province, the province had a spending problem and not a revenue problem. Well, Renaud, thanks so much, man, for coming on the show to provide some analysis into the situation on our East Coast. And, and for our listeners out there, we're going to need to stay on top of this. I mean, a federal bailout for Newfoundland and Labrador would surely mean the other bigger provinces would want some more money too. And that would send our $1 trillion federal debt tab to the moon. So stay tuned and be ready to push back. All right, it's time for Waste Watch, the part of the show where we highlight the politicians and bureaucrats who waste our money in spectacular ways. And oh boy, do we got a big one, don't we, Simmer? Uh, Let's just get to it. What's going on in Kamloops? And why would a bureaucrat book a champagne room? Yeah, we have a big update for you on this file. So we told our listeners a little while back about this crazy spending that was happening in the Thompson-Nicola Regional District. That was a couple of years back. That's the area that surrounds Kamloops. It's smack dab in the middle of BC. And the former chief administrative officer spent more than $500,000 over five years, taxpayers' money, of course. And a lot of it was on hotels and meals and super fancy gifts for his fellow bureaucrats. So there was actually a $7,000 champagne room that was booked at a Whistler Bistro, and he booked this during a big municipal meeting. So this spending was all reported in the local newspaper by journalist Jessica Wallace. 7,000 smackers on champagne? That sounds yeah. more like, that sounds more like Whistler, eh? Oh my <laughs> God. But seriously, excellent work. Big kudos to the journalists there. I mean, we definitely need to be seeing a lot more of that. Yes, exactly, because it helps us keep governments accountable and in line, and it made a huge splash, and taxpayers should thank her for her work. You know, at first, the local politicians, it was like, you know, Chief Wiggum. They were like, oh, nothing to see here, nothing to see here. Oh my gosh, look at this flaming wreckage. After everybody got mad at them, they realized they needed to do something about it. So yeah, they reluctantly called in an audit, and then they called in the local Mounties. But get this, the local Mounties have called in the feds. The federalities, that sounds pretty heavy. (laughs) You know, we hear these crazy spending stories all too often, right? But but usually there's just some audit and, and maybe, maybe a police investigation. But calling in specialists, you know, that sounds like an entirely whole nother level. It is. It really is. So this RCMP team is called the Federal Serious and Organized Crime Financial Integrity Sensitive Investigations Unit. They deal with, quote, financial crime offenses, end quote. And they investigate situations that could result in charges of things like fraud, embezzlement and corruption. Those are very serious charges. We need to stress this, though, that just because there's an investigation going on, that does not mean that charges or convictions will actually happen. 
Yeah, that's a that's a very important point, right? The presumption of innocence is fundamental, and, and there is a difference between a bureaucrat wasting money and violating the boundaries of common sense, as in the case of the Kamloops story, where, where diamond and gold necklaces and, and liquor store <laughs> gift certificates were being bought, but those purchases were, quote, within the rules. Okay. Well, but, you know, that means the rules were bad and the judgment was bad, but it's not criminal. However, filling out documents that are not truthful for theoretical example, that can lead to criminal charges. Exactly. There are two different levels of bad in these cases. One where it's shoddy behavior like boozy stick lunches and another that can actually land you some criminal charges. Both of these scenarios highlight why we need a municipal auditor general and the power to recall local politicians between elections. Here, here. You know, if the people had those powerful tools as a way of holding their own local town halls to account, we'd be hopefully calling in the cavalry a lot less often. Oh, yeah. I mean, great point. Fantastic point. And, and here's another thing, right? To, to think that this was the work of one reporter, why we know about this too, right? This could be going on at other regional districts and at other town halls and taxpayers wouldn't know. And this is why we need those accountability tools like you just talked about, right? So we can have watchdogs keeping an eye on them. And, and of course, a big win coming up here in Alberta is the introduction of recall legislation, which actually includes local recall. And of course, that was something that the Taxpayers Federation took the lead on. Um, but you know what? Please, please, please check out our show notes uh, to go sign our petitions for more local government accountability. All right, folks, that's the show. Thank you so much for listening. And a huge shout out, uh, the only shout out you're getting from me, Mr. Jimbo, to our investigative journalist, James Wood. I mean, he really does make it sound like we know what we're talking about. So thank you so much for all your hard work. And uh, just for our listeners, it's a bit of an inside running joke that we have here at the CTF. Yes, exactly. Because we use his work all the time. <laughs> so we're mostly hair and teeth and he's the brains behind the organization. So, but before we go, we did get a little bit of response uh, to our emissions stories and the fact that BC's emissions just keep on going up and up alongside of our useless, stupid, expensive carbon tax. So when I posted the information a couple of days ago, the folks on Twitter who love carbon taxes got their feelings really hurt. And they said that we were lying and making things up. Folks, if you have a problem with this data, Take it up with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and take it up with the United Nations because this is official government data and it's showing, unfortunately, our emissions are going up along with the carbon tax. So unfortunately, in this case, facts don't care about your feelings. So that is the show. Uh, our, would really help our feelings if you would share this show with your friends and family. If they want to see smaller, more accountable government, lower taxes and less waste, send them this podcast. We'll catch you next week. Hi, I'm Scott Hennig, President of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. If you've got another minute, I'd like to ask you to think about the one person you know that would really enjoy listening to this podcast. Do us a favor and do them a favor and send them a quick note to let them know about it. At the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we believe there is power in numbers. That's why we've worked so hard to build an army of taxpayers who are ready to push back. And we did it because people like you shared our work with that one person that they knew would really appreciate taking part. Thanks for listening, and thanks for doing your part to make Canada a better place.